I think uh, when Pastor Josh came to Tom and I and asked us to cover this portion of First Peter for him while he was gone, um, I think that good, good father kind of set me up. <laughs> he, he's got me preaching to myself this morning. So I, as the slide says up here today, it's time for the kids to go. If there are any in here that need to go to kids' church, you are dismissed. Living in hope, living in hope through submission. (laughs) A lot of you may already be thinking, submission. Did he really say that? Did he use that word, submission? I don't think I'm going to like this. But I can assure you that the message today is directly from God's word. And some of you surely won't like it. For those of you to whom submission is easy, it's not a problem. I'd ask both of you to just hang in here with me for a little bit. (laughs) But those of you who struggle with it sometimes, I can sympathize. Submission is not one of those things that comes easy to me. Not so much in the workplace, but certainly in relation to governmental authorities. And uh, I have to tell you, I don't believe politics has a place inside these walls, inside a church. It's too divisive. And we can see that out there, and there's plenty divisive. And there are all kinds of people who will be voting their conscience later this year. Fine. They're entitled to an opinion. Everybody is. But out here, Jesus is the boss. So, uh, this has more to do with our behavior in our community. I don't want to say that I'm a rebel, but I have been known to offer my opinion on a particular government official, or maybe a group of officials, or even a candidate to become an official. And uh, I have to confess and repent that I don't always do so in a very respectful way. It's kind of like a young disciple named Peter. I, I can occasionally succumb to my passions, lose sight of my real calling. Now, I realize confession is good for the soul, but lousy for the reputation. But it's too late now. You may recall back in December, I did a profile of Peter. We found Peter to be a hard worker, a passionate and often impulsive guy. And in his early years, he was pretty self-motivated, as opposed to God-motivated. Many have characterized him as independent and hard-headed. All of that is to say submission didn't come naturally or easily to Peter when he first began following Christ. It didn't come naturally and easily to me either. But he learned, and I'm learning and I think we probably all are to some degree. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 25, we have the foundation for Christian ethics. The picture of the suffering servant who is innocent but suffers at the hands of unrighteous men. And that's drawn from Isaiah 53. 
In fact, Peter even quotes Isaiah 53, 9 to build up his case that we should behave like our perfect example, Jesus Christ. He's God's innocent, suffering servant who is presented as a perfect substitute for us. Now, I want you to understand, submission doesn't call us to a lifestyle of wimphood or of being a doormat to anybody. It's one of the reasons why the, the smell of the word submission offends or disturbs some of us so much. It calls us instead to a godly ethic that brings glory to him. Jesus died in our place. We deserved death for sin. And yet, a sinless Christ replaced us on the cross. How was he able to bear up under all that injustice? That brings us to our big idea today. That is, honorable living for the Lord's sake. In our, in our verse today, verse 23 says that Jesus kept entrusting himself to God who judges righteously. And Jesus did it out of obedience to God's will and out of love for us. We're to follow in his footsteps. Now, if any of you grew up in the Midwest or in the northern parts of the country or some other place where there is snow, you might be able to catch a picture here of what it is like trying to trudge through this. It's like coming into deep snow and trying to walk through it. In the Midwest, we had to do it to get to school both ways. <laughs> but in this picture, Christ has already walked through the snow before us and made a path for us so we can do it more easily. As we look at this portion of Scripture today, I pray that you'll come to understand, as, as I am beginning to understand, that submission doesn't always mean you agree, but it does mean we respectfully submit or obey. So let's, let's dig into our Scripture today. First, we want to look at this thorn in my side, submission to government. Peter starts this instruction with what is for me a very convicting concept in verse 11 it basically tells us remember who you are or maybe more to the point remember whose you are first peter 2 11 and 12 beloved i beg you as sojourners and pilgrims abstain from the fleshly lust, uh, fleshly lusts which war against the soul having your conduct honorable among the gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Peter addresses his, his readers here, in, in, including us, uh, as beloved, God's dearly beloved children. Eight times in his two letters, Peter reminds his readers of God's love for them, for us. Nothing in us warrants God's love. But he loves us because of our faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we're accepted into the beloved. 
This love relationship with Jesus should be motivation enough for us to live godly lives in a, in a godless world. John fourteen fifteen says, if you love me, keep my commandments. It also speaks of something a little deeper than obedience out of duty. It speaks to obedience out of devotion. If a man love me, in verse 23, he will keep my words. Being a good witness for Christ in the world requires believers first to be good citizens of the world, to follow the established rules in a society. Now, for first century Jews who recognized no authority but God's, this was a difficult proposition. (laughs) How far does Peter say a believer's submission to authority has to be? 13 and 14 tells us. Therefore, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Throughout his letter, Peter emphasizes the importance of good Christian conduct. But to what end? What will be the impact of this submission on those who witness it. Keep going, verses 15 to 17. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God. Honor the king. In order to be witness to the lost people around us, we do not witness only with our lips. But we have to back up our talk with our walk. And sometimes that's really hard. (laughs) According to Warren Wearsby, it's important to note that we are to respect the office even if we cannot respect the man or woman occupying the office. As much as possible, we should seek to cooperate with the government and obey the law, but we must never allow the law to make us violate our conscience or disobey God's word. Two phrases in verses 15 and 16, Warren says, are important here. The will of God and the bondservants of God. When we do something in the will of God as the servants of God, then we are doing it for the Lord's sake. God willed that we silence the critics, that is Muslim, by doing good, not by opposing the authority. And in context, this, this muzzling of the critics basically refers to it like you'd muzzle a pack of yelping dogs. Some, some some people ask, well, then are we not free? Yes, we are, free in Christ. But we never use our freedom for ourselves. We always use it for others. <laughs> Unlike some religious racketeers, if you will, who use religion to hide selfish, self-serving, evil actions. If we're sincerely submitted to authority for the Lord's sake, then we will show honor to all who are entitled to it. 
We may not agree with their politics or their practices, but we still should respect their position. Remember, their positions, they're in those positions by, by God's will. He's permitted it or caused it. So we show them the honor that we're supposed to do. Now, as we enter prime time for national politics, <laughs> this message is, uh, I think, kind, kind of timely for us. Because we, we have all this political stuff going on out here. Debates going on, individuals candidating within a party and then against the other party. And they don't even respect each other. So we're supposed to show ourselves different. We can express our opinion. But we still respect the individuals, the office. Secondly, we look to submission to masters. Now, for Peter, submission to authority does not end with government officials. He sees a need for submission in all realms of society, even the servant-master relationship of his day, which, since we don't have slaves in our society today, these instructions are more applicable to the employer-employee relationship. See, I told you you weren't going to like this. It's likely that sometimes a believing employee is treated wrongly by an employer or a supervisor and for conscience. Anybody ever have that happen? He or she must just take it, even if they're not in the wrong. But relationship with God is much more important than that with men. Peter calls it commendable or gracious in the ESV. When you suffer wrongly for his sake, it's commendable, it's gracious. Verses 19 and 20. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongly. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Anyone can take it when he suffers for a wrong he's done. But it takes a dedicated believer to take it when you're in the right. God gives you the grace to do that. And in so doing, he receives glory. The natural man's response is to, to fight back. But the spirit-filled believer can submit and let God fight his battles. Well, does this mean then we shouldn't defend ourselves? Uh, no, I don't believe that that's what it's saying here. But it is saying we need to be mindful of how we defend ourselves. Was it graciously? Was it respectable and respectful? In verses 21 to 25, Peter points to our perfect example, Jesus. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins 
in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed? For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the kind of life you've been called to. The type of life Jesus lived. He suffered everything they threw at him so you could know that it could be done. And so that you could know how to do it. Step by step. He never did anything wrong. He never said anything amiss. He was called every name in the book. He said nothing. He suffered in silence. He uttered no threats knowing God would set things right. That's our example. He used, that is, submitted his own body to carry our sins to the cross so we could be free of them. His wounds became our healing. We were lost sheep with no idea who we were or where we were going. Now we're named beloved and kept for good by the good shepherd of our souls. Now that's freedom in submission. Thirdly, let's talk a little bit about Jesus' example. As I said, Peter was quite aware of how difficult this might be for some of his readers. But he knew firsthand how difficult it was, having watched all of Jesus' example unfold right before his eyes. And yet at, that very t- at the time, he had a difficult time grasping the concept. <laughs> now, citing Jesus' example, he points out that the best way For Christ followers to submit to authority is to follow Jesus' example. The scriptures tell us that Jesus suffered without cause. He never said or did anything wrong. Who else could make such a claim as that? One way or another, we are typically responsible to some degree for the problems that we face. Are we not? Are we going to be honest with ourselves? But Jesus wasn't. Let's look at three ways that he submitted to unjust authority. Number one, he submitted without response. In verse 23, Peter writes, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. What does it mean to be reviled? Revile means to insult another person with abusive speech. Christ was frequently reviled by the Jewish religious leaders of the day. He was called names. His adversaries made attempts to silence or discredit his words. He was reviled by those who did not believe that he was the Messiah. He was cruelly reviled by mockers, even on his way to the cross. He clearly had the authority, quote, given him by God, his heavenly father, and the power could have called 10,000 angels to fight back. Yet he chose to submit to the will of his heavenly father and be led to that cross, even unto death. Secondly, he submitted without retaliation. In verse 23, Peter also writes, when he suffered, he did not threaten Again, I I believe it to be human nature when we're wrong that we want to pay back our tormentors in kind. 
You know, we want to retaliate. We want to get even. We want to make them feel some of the pain that they caused us. At least, at the very least, we want to hold grudge. (laughs) But Jesus refused retaliation. In the garden, even though they would not give him any charges against him, Jesus submitted to arrest. And he would not allow Peter to defend him. He submitted. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, verse 70, as Jesus faced the Sanhedrin, he answered them with grace and submission rather than impassioned defense. Are you the Son of God? You say that I am. At his trial before Pilate, again, submission. Before Herod, he stood mute. As he stood before Pilate again, about to be freed, Pilate could find no wrong in this man. But as he stood there about to be freed, only submission. And then he was unjustly condemned by his own. Crucify him! And he took it, submitting to God's will and God's plan. He did it for the Lord's sake. Finally, in Luke 23, verse 34, even as he suffered on the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. That kind of submission is really tough. Thirdly, he submitted without reservation. Again, in verse 23, Peter finally writes, He committed himself to him who judges righteously. In this context, commit means to give oneself into the hands of another. Judas delivered Jesus up to the Roman soldiers. Pilate delivered Jesus up to those wanting to crucify him. And then Jesus, in turn, delivered himself up to God. In Luke 23, 46, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Complete, total, and final submission. Now, as I hope you've figured out by now, following this example of submission (laughs) will not come naturally to any of us. We likely won't or didn't get it right the first time we had an opportunity to submit. And we'll likely be tempted to give up at some point along the way. There's a parallel passage I like from Paul in Romans 12. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. (laughs) What a great rule to live by. This righteous, honorable living by believers calls us to be models of humility and submission to both to the government and in the workplace. Many of us are no longer in the workplace, but there are a lot of other places where we still need to practice submission. All walks of life require it. John MacArthur 
said such a lifestyle causes the world to stop, look, and wonder. Honorable living forces even unbelievers to acknowledge the greatness of our God. If we, and all believers, were able to follow Jesus' example, we would revolutionize our culture. Amen? Amen? Yeah. So we're brought to today's challenge. Live honorably among Gentiles and other believers for the sake of our hope in Jesus Christ. I guess you can't even read the color of that up there, can you? Live honorably among the Gentiles and other believers for the sake of our hope, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, Peter's letter today challenges us to a, a lifestyle, a conduct, an ethic that for some of us is very difficult and is easy probably for none of us. But we ask you to give us the strength that we need to follow Christ as our example. You, you sent him here to be with us, to teach us, to be a visible example to us, and then to be the perfect sacrifice for us. So may we take that to heart. May we seek to live honorably among the Gentiles and among other believers so that our conduct, our submission would bring you glory in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.